Moncrief on News Talk. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on Newstalk 087-1400-106 is our WhatsApp number. Uh, we've just, during the break, we were agreeing that the world's problems are essentially insoluble, but uh, we can help you with your children. Uh, uh, Joanna Fortune joins us uh, once again. Afternoon, Afternoon, Joanna. Sean. Uh, right. I have a nine-year-old girl. She's the eldest of three and she's funny, kind and clever and quite a sensitive little soul. Over the last few years, she's developed a fear of vomiting. If someone is sick in our house, she's very cagey and nervous and will stay well clear of the sick person. I'm not sure if it's a throwback to COVID times, but she feels she might pick up the sickness, which I know isn't unreasonable. The sight of the sick person, smell, mess, all that really upset her. If someone vomits, she'll start crying and shaking and having what I describe as little panic attacks that thankfully don't last too long. I usually take her out of the way and try to talk her down. If she does actually ever get sick or vomit herself, she's a great little patient and doesn't stress too much. She's begun to realise that some people get travel sickness uh, and she now has a fear of going on the bus on the school tour. The tour is until May, but she's already talking about it and saying she won't go. It's only just over an hour's journey to their destination. I'm trying to talk reasonably to her, saying I think she'd be sad to miss the tour and the fun with her friends. She's asking me to bring her another time instead. I've explained to her that sometimes people just vomit and it's not a big deal, but it doesn't seem to sink in. I'd love to help her to get past this and find ways of coping when it does happen, but it's hard to put into practice and I feel at a bit of a loss. Oh, yeah. And it's going on a few years. Yeah. 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 And actually, you know, when you're talking about, I, I think it's such a nice language, you know, these little panic attacks that she's having in response to seeing, smelling, being around other people vomiting. You know, there's a, the condition, you know, when it's in that extreme form is emetophobia. And it's surprisingly more common than you would think. Mm. And it can, you know, really arise in early to mid childhood, actually kind of between seven and nine years is the most common age for a child to develop emetophobia. It's also very difficult to work through because... And it is actually a phobia about throwing up. It is a phobia of vomit. Yeah. Okay. So either okay, yeah. vomiting yourself or being around somebody else who's vomiting or a fear of feeling sick in case you might vomit. All of that would fall into that category. Um, it's typically triggered by a particularly negative experience. You know, I'm trying to, if somebody vomited on you or, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. in a way that it was at the dinner table while you were eating or something like that, not just kind of someone got sick and that's it. It would it tend to be triggered by a very negative experience. But that is a subjective statement in itself, because what I might find a very negative experience and what you might find can be very different things. Mm, mm. So if, for example, a sibling was projectile vomiting while very ill a couple of years, that could be enough. Yeah. And that being so oh, awful at that onslaught in terms of sensory experience that that could begin to do it. And yes, I mean, I was interested in that. Could it be something to do with COVID? A fear of sickness could arise out of that. But this is very particular to vomit. So yeah. I get more curious about was anybody sick at that time? Um, so I think what you I mean, what you're doing is largely right. You know, you're in the ballpark with this because you have to acknowledge the fear, but avoid over reassuring her. So I really like when you said, you know, She's having this little ma mini panic attack response and you remove her from the situation, deal with it and then try to calm her down. So don't over reassure her, but don't minimize it as stop it, you're overreacting. There's, it's just vomit, you know, because that's yeah. not what it is to her. 
So try to conceal your own disgust responses to vomiting. If you, I mean, none of us love it, let's be honest. Yeah. So, you know, just try to be very mindful of that. Stay calm and almost positive. Now, I don't mean... Woohoo! Somebody's <laughs> vomiting. I don't, that's why I'm like almost positive. So stay calm and just, you know, it's okay. It's under control. I'm dealing with it. So your upbeat maybe is a better way to put yeah. it. Uh, but stay very empathic of what it's like for her. That's all you can really do with that. I do think it's useful um, to talk about how smart our bodies are when we're not well, that our bodies know how to get rid of the feeling or the thing mm, that's making yeah. us. To try and reframe this as a clever thing our bodies are doing so we're not holding on to something and continuing to feel unwell. In terms of treatment, it tends to go down the road of CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy. Um, I mean, some people will do a kind of exposure therapy, not as uh, You not can't really do child. that with throwing up. And not no. with emetophobia. Yeah. That's why treatment outcomes can be really varied on this. Yeah. And it can linger for a long, long time. I also think, and I actually have worked with a number of children presenting with emetophobia over the years, and I don't practice CBT. So I'm aware CBT is there, but I also think it can be very effective and useful to work with the underpinning anxiety. You know, the anticipation of, oh, somebody's going to get sick. I hope somebody doesn't get sick. And what if they get sick? And oh, someone had a pain in their tummy today. That means if we, that you can do in a more kind of creative, play-based psychotherapy approach and really speaking to the anxiety, lowering that, which then enables the child to better manage the arousal when it does come up for them. So I think if it's going on for a couple of years and the fact that she's anxiously anticipating a school tour months ahead and on the basis that somebody might get car sick, I think you probably should consider exploring options to bring her to see somebody. So I think you could look, you could go to a child psychologist who may practice CBT with children and you could also consider looking at somebody who's going to take a more play-based approach or directly play-based approach um, in terms of play psychotherapy or play therapy. I think that could be very useful at this point. Yeah, there's also the smell of vomit, mm. which I think almost kind of prompts a, a, um, an evolutionary thing and it's a kind of oh, badness. It's a really yeah. intense sensory experience. Yeah. And I mean, again, like it's not like anyone goes, I like it. Yeah, nobody yeah. does. But I think what she's experiencing is so much more than, ew, vomit. Her whole body is reacting to it and she's having a very intense fear response yeah. to the vomiting. And yeah. that's what's pushing it into the over and above piece. I'm sure there are many adults with a similar... Absolutely. But, but we don't see it as a phobia because we think vomit is disgusting it, anyway. Know, if that was to linger into adulthood, it can make the transition into parenthood quite challenging for people. Yeah. You know, and I've had met conversations with parents who have emetophobia and children vomit. All the time. That's like the main thing they do. So actually really checking in with yourself and saying, okay, I'm aware that's a struggle for me and I need some help with that. There is help available and CBT or talk-based therapies can be in adulthood, can be very effective. We have noticed that our children are quite materialistic and don't really value the concept of money or things. My wife and I have discussed this and we know it's our fault because we spoiled them too much when they were younger. However, now that they're getting older, I really like to nip this in the bud. I noticed it recently when we were in the department store and my daughter picked up a jacket for 250 quid and asked, could she have it? When I told her no, she said it's not that expensive. This is just one example of how clueless they can be. How would you recommend teaching my children about money 
and the value of material goods. They're not old enough to get part-time jobs yet, which is where I learned about a lot about managing money. Please help, as I don't want my kids to turn into the type of adults I don't like. My wife and I didn't grow up privileged, and I feel this has helped us value money. I mean... Yeah, I, I, there's no age here, but I don't know about you, but I'm kind of guessing that 13-ish, 14-ish. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. kind of where I'm just seeing that they're not quite old enough for the part-time job yet. Mm. Um, there's a couple of ways of approaching this. And really, you're teaching the difference between needs and wants. You know, we can say it's about money, but actually, mm. it's materialism isn't just about money. It's about knowing the difference between something I need and something I want and being able to manage the things I need. I've got to pursue that and make sure I have enough for that. And the things I want, I may have to wait a while and delay gratification there. So there is a bit of, of that approach to this. You could sit together. I think the best thing you can do at this stage, if I'm, and I'm thinking they are in that early or just yeah. preteen stage, is sit together and use a paradoxical approach. We've messed up. We're so sorry. We've got it totally wrong, guys. And so you're not saying you guys are so materialistic, we have to teach you, but you're actually flipping it and saying this is on us. We haven't taught you about how money works. And we are so sorry, but we are making a change and we are going to do better. Yeah. Okay. And you, if you approach it that way, you lay out new ways of doing things. The best thing to do with this at this stage is think about pocket money. Mm, yeah. Now, be really yeah. clear about pocket money in terms of what you expect it to cover. If we give our children pocket money and it is for discretionary spend, you know, it's a, co- a few euro, a couple of euro that they can buy what they like with, then that is what they can do with their money. Yeah. We might go, I wish they'd save it. But if you didn't build it that way, then that is their choice to do. If at, in teenage years you can give them a little extra money with the proviso, you must provide phone credit for yourself personal items for yourself and whatever is left over is yours to spend as you like or save. Think ahead if you've got a party coming up or something you'd really like to get, you might want to save some of that money for the next few weeks so that you can have it. Be really clear about it and then hold your boundary. Because the first time you do this, (laughs) they're going to blow all that money on something and say, oh, but I forgot I was supposed to get my face wash and my moisturizer Mm. or whatever deodorant with this. Can you get it for me? Maybe you want to take a flexible approach the first time and say on this one occasion, but this is your reminder. Thereafter, no, you have to wait till next week for that because otherwise they don't learn. They learn actually you say one thing and you do another, which is not a helpful lesson in that. So that can be very effective. But I would go back to the jacket. You know, it's a good example, the 250 euro jacket. And you could use this to explain based on minimum wage, which your daughter will be earning in a part time job whenever she's old enough to get one. Take something like a minimum wage rate. You could say how many hours work that jacket costs. Mm. So her saying it doesn't cost much. You could say, well, how many hours work after tax? does that jacket cost? And that means if you spend all that money, you'd have to earn X amount to cover the other things you need because this is just a jacket. It's in the want category, not need category. And help her to understand, oh, when I look at something, that's 15 hours work right there. That's 10 hours work to help her understand what 250 euros is because we're in an increasingly cashless society And, you know, I I see it myself with my own child who talks about beep money. 
you know, the beep money because you beep yeah. and it's paid for. There is no actual money in the transaction. So actually giving kids money from a young age and letting them learn to manage in a doing way is a very effective way of doing this. You could also, with uh, kids this age, bring some climate action awareness in and the importance of reusing rather than constantly buying and buying and mm-hmm. buying and contributing to landfill and really see, let them see you model non-materialistic behavior yourself, you know, work for charity, volunteer, donate, be very mindful in your own spending habits in front of them. Plus 250 quid, where are they bringing them shopping? That's big department store. Yeah, that would right be a there. very big department store. Actually, yeah, because we had a thing with our eight-year-old because uh, uh, Christmas and our birthday are very close together. Okay. So, like, their family members just, you know, gave her cash. So she had a certain amount of cash. So we said, well, you can go on a shopping spree. Yeah. Um. And so we knew, like, she'd want 17 different things. But so we said, well, this is how much money you have. If you get that thing, you can't have the other thing. So she had to decide. to make choices. She had to make choices. And there was this, like, a teddy bear of Stitch from Lilo and Stitch, which she really liked. But then she said, no, we'll we'll leave that. We'll go and look at the other things. And then at clothes and stuff. And then uh, then eventually she kind of... Mm. And we were getting her to do maths as well, so it was even better. Uh, but um, it's so good for yeah, her. Yeah, it's uh, and so eventually she she said, "No, I won't have that thing." She got the the teddy bear of Stitch, and it's a very cute teddy bear. But to this day, if anyone says, "Oh, that's a cute teddy bear," she says, "Yes, it was very expensive." You see, because she <laughs> yeah. got it because she had to experience it. Yeah. She had to work out while well, I want three things, I can afford one thing, and now I have to make a choice as to which one I want more. Yeah, there's a whole lot that goes on in that kind of little transaction. Yeah. Um. So, and I think it is really, and it's never too late. So don't think just because your kids are teenagers, well, we missed that boat. No, you can do it now, but they're definitely going to show you some resistance. They're going to test those Mm. limits because that's their job. It's your job to hold them in place. And just in case anyone's wondering, she rinses me every chance she gets. So that's just, you know, and that's the the occasional win. (laughs) Uh, My uh, my 10-year-old daughter has uh, not been invited to two birthday parties of children in her class over the last few weeks. And she's really upset about it. I spoke with the teacher last week. It was very supportive. She told me the school doesn't tend to intervene with birthday parties. However, they do encourage parents not to leave out any children. My daughter keeps bringing this up at bedtime and I don't know what to tell her. I've told her that uh, she had loads of friends and people who love her, but she keeps speaking about being left out in school. I'm wondering if, uh, if I should reach out to other parents in the class to make sure my daughter isn't left out again. Uh, but I don't want to come across as demanding. My daughter is normally a very happy child, has friends outside school and has friends in a different class in her school. But being left out of the school parties has been really hard for her. Mm. Oh, I think a lot of people can relate to this one. And, you know... In lots of ways, it's the 10 year old piece I want to pick up on. Like, first of all, when you say I'm wondering, should I reach out to other parents? I feel like, you know, the answer to that is mm. it's not really the, the approach to take here and be really clear in your head. Is your daughter the only child being left out of these invites or is it a case that children at 10 years old tend to make selections for smaller parties? Yeah, because yeah. that is what happens. It is this age when friendships change. They refine they settle into little friendship groups. They're, you know, they're friendly with everyone, but these are my very good friends. Mm. That's quite developmentally normal. And 
I, it's developmentally normal, but it doesn't mean it's not hard for the yes, kid who course, isn't in that yes, group yeah. just to say that. But it's also a time when the party structure changes. You know, it's no longer everybody goes to the trampoline centre or the whatever centre or to the forest or whatever it might be. Mm. It tends to be there's four of us going to the cinema and for pizza afterwards or there's and it, there or we're having a sleepover or whatever it might yeah. be. It tends to be more intimate. And also those kinds of parties are more costly, let's be honest. So parents are like, well, hang on, you can bring five people and yeah. that's it. And that also comes into it. So it does result in smaller groups of kids, which of course correlates with some kids being left out. Yeah. So yeah. this is part and parcel of what's going on now. It's just when you say she has friends outside of school and friends in another class in school, that bit just jarred with me. And I went, are you saying she doesn't have friends in her class? Yeah, yeah. But I, that isn't anywhere else in this letter, so I'm not sure about that. I would say to you, you cannot change this invite structure or what's going on. But what you can do is support your daughter to better manage disappointment and to better handle the feelings that are being activated in her. And that comes with empathising. And at night time, I know like when you're trying to get them to bed and your child is yeah. upset, that's very distressing for everybody. And it is it is when our kids take that moment to emotionally exhale because everything is quiet and there's no other distractions. And they're like, wait, I hit you with my big emotional event right now yes. as you're trying to get out of the room. <laughs> but it is about just acknowledging going, gosh, yes, that is hard. You are disappointed. And of course, you're finding that difficult. And, you know, crying when you feel sad is a good thing to do. It lets those feelings out. And I'm glad you could tell me that. When the the day the party comes, whatever it might be, you might decide that you and she could go and do something together. She might like to invite a friend who's not involved in that party over to have her own play experience at home, but that you basically give her an alternative thing that she could do instead. I think it's you're better off investing in it in that way in terms of helping her manage disappointment and be able to say, yeah, I'm a bit disappointed, but I am OK. Yeah, because actually yeah. this is going to be a feature of social structure moving forward where there's highs, there's lows, you're in, you're out, you're, there's invites, there's no invites. And I just think for all, the, uh, all of us parents to be very mindful and sensitive about when we're inviting kids to birthday parties, being aware that the kids you're not inviting, they know the party's happening. And I'm not saying invite everyone, but be discreet and subtle about yes, how you're handing yeah. out invitations, mm. how it's being spoken about, and maybe just helping our children. to. It's OK to be excited about your party, but we're not inviting everyone in the class, so we won't talk about it much mm. in school. Because I, cause I'm, I'm, I'm assuming from this that, that she was invited to these parties last year and it's that change That's that you're I'm talking about. That's how I'm reading it as yeah. well. And, you know, and that is, you know, it's really around that kind of, even a bit younger than this, like a, you're around that third class that really parties do change. Right, OK. They do, like kids start inviting less. And it is hard because, yeah. of course, everyone wants everyone there. But there's also real life considerations in that. But I think just, just be very aware. Now, if you're listening and you say, no, it is literally only my child being left out and she doesn't really have friends in the class, then I'd be going back to the teacher, not so much about the party invites because I'm with the teacher on this. They really can't get involved in that. Mm. But if you feel there's isolation going on in the classroom, then that is something the teacher can help with. Yeah. Our son has decided he's a vegan. Uh, a number of his classmates have done the same. They love watching nature documentaries together, which we encourage. But now we're dealing with a child who refuses to eat the dinner that's put in front of him. 
He's 14. Is that the age where he insists on scowling at the rest of us as we eat bolognese or chicken drumsticks, which has put a bad feeling on the family kitchen table? I keep telling myself it's a phase, but it's been going on for two weeks now and I'm exhausted cooking two different meals every night. I'm also worried that he may not be getting the nutrients that he would be getting as part of his diet if he was eating meat. I told him a few times that I've no problem if he wants to do this when he's a bit older and we can do some research into a balanced vegan diet, but he refuses. My head is melted as I'm worrying that way, the way he is currently eating is unhealthy. Oh, two weeks in. Like, yeah. yeah, it's a big change. Look, he has made this choice. So he must also be part of the solution to it and the way of dealing with it. Because I'm hearing in this a frazzled parent cooking two dinners, yeah. some of which is picked at by the vegan who wants to be vegan, but isn't actually eating a healthy, good vegan diet because a good vegan diet will give him all the nutrients he yes. needs. Yeah. Just to be clear about that. So it's sounding like a pasta vegan diet going on. And that's not sustainable. <laughs> I totally agree with you. You might have to find a good vegan cookbook. There are thankfully so many of those out there now. Um, I stopped eating meat when I was much younger and really your options were penne pasta with tomato sauce. Yeah. No matter yeah. where you went, like things have changed so much. So you could also have him flick through that book, select two meals you could get the ingredients and help him, but he has to be there. He's doing more than you're doing. You're just supporting batch cooking. Saturday or Sunday, he batch cooks like a big vegan bolognese or a shepherdless pie or whatever yeah. it might be. And that's portioned out and that is his meal. He can do two, three, four batch cooks if he wants, but two is probably mm. achievable. But he has to be a part of that because you can say, I support you in this and I'm going to show you that that one night of the week, I will be cooking a meat-free dinner for all of us. The other nights of the week, you're going to batch cook at the weekend to make sure you have what you need. So the Because I can cook one meal. I don't know how to have time to cook two meals yes, during yeah. the week. And I think if you approach it in a calm way, that, that, and if he's like, no, I'm not cooking, well, then, then, yeah, yeah, there's and if if you're concerned about him or you think he's not taking it seriously enough, you could say, look, we're going to have to go to the doctor, make sure you're healthy and well, because you're really not eating well for the last month, two months. And there are ways of doing this. There is a way to support him with this veganism. And it seems to have come from a motivation through documentaries and social mm. action. And all of that is really good. And he's at the age for that. But I think he needs to be an active participant in the lifestyle yes. change rather than giving you an extra job for him. Yeah. And and a lot of those pre-prepared things you get in supermarkets that say vegan, they're just full of salt. Absolutely. And, and no, you'd be much better batch yeah. cooking from scratch at home. It also yeah. teaches him about food. You know, it helps him to learn about food and food preparation. And that's generally good, no matter if yeah. he's vegan or not. That's a generally good thing to do. Yeah. Uh, somebody's texted in to say, I'm 52. This is referring back to the first question we had. I'm 52. Can't cope never could cope, mm. never will cope with vomit. And you might be right. I mean, yeah, it's what, the treat, when I say treatment outcomes vary, some people do not grow out of it. A lot of kids who get it young will grow out of it, but with support, it doesn't just go away on its own. Yeah, I mean, imagine so. Joanna, thanks a million. Thank As you. ever, Joanna Fortune there. Moncrief, weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.